Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope that it blesses you. Thank you to everybody for just bringing those testimonies. It, it's, it, you kind of feel a bit redundant standing up here when, you know, when you've just heard people just describe what God's done in their lives. And I think it just reminds me, I hope it reminds you too, you know, God is interested in the detail of our lives, the detail, every little detail. Hold on to that. So thank you so much for everybody for, for just coming up. So this is about Jesus, the prophet, that Jesus and his life was prophesied, was foretold, was predicted way back when, all part of God's plan. So I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But I'm going to start, after I've read this passage of Scripture from the book of Acts, I'm going to start by talking about why, why it's important that we understand um, all that was prophesied over Jesus, because it's part of your inheritance and mine too. So I'll come on to that in a minute. But I'm going to start by reading from the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 17, until the end of the chapter, which is verse 26. And... So the context here is the book of Acts written by Luke, the good doctor who was a follower of Jesus, and he is describing the events immediately after the death of Jesus. And again, the very specific context is Peter and John are in Jerusalem, and they have just prayed over a man who was crippled and had been a beggar for many, many years at a particular spot in Jerusalem. So he was well known this beggar, this cripple, to many of the people uh, that lived and worked and went about their business in Jerusalem. And uh, this guy is now walking, and he is walking around, and he is telling everybody what's changed in his life. And they're all going, whoa, who, what's happened? What's happened? And it caused an enormous amount of controversy amongst the Jewish community and the people in Jerusalem at the time. And Peter is having a conversation with a whole load of them about this. So we join the conversation, it's well underway, and uh, he's just finishing a part when he's talking to the Jewish community about kind of his understanding of why they rejected Jesus and sent Jesus to be tried by Pontius Pilate and blah de blah de blah So, here we go. Are you ready? You can feel the warmth of the heating coming through your body now. You're all alive and well. Good, good. Here we go. Brothers, I acknowledge that you and your leaders only acted in ignorance. This refers to their rejection of Jesus. <clears throat> but realize that God has fulfilled what he promised through all the prophets. He foretold that Christ would suffer. So repent now, turn to God so that you can be forgiven and freed from all our sins. That you can enjoy times of refreshing that only the Lord himself can give, that the living Christ will come to you now and that Jesus will return at God's appointed time. He has to remain in heaven until the time comes that has been promised through the holy prophets when God will restore everything to his purposes. It was Moses who said, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet from among your own people, a prophet for you who will be like me. You must listen to all that he says to you, for anyone who does not listen to this prophet will be cut off completely from God's people. In fact, all the prophets from the time of Samuel onwards have spoken these things because of the covenant God made 
with your forefathers. You are heirs of all the prophets foretold. He said to Abraham, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. So when God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him to you first in order to bless you by turning you away from your sinful ways. So, all this stuff about Jesus being foretold and prophesied and blah 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 And as I said, in a moment I'm going to talk to you about four pledges. The passage I've just read to you talks about the covenant that God made with his people. There were, another word for that is pledges. And there were four pledges that God made way back at the beginning of time, which is really important for us to grasp. But first... Why is this important? Why do we need to know about this stuff? And what I would encourage you to think about is why it's so important we understand the foundations on which we stand. Why is it so important we understand the heritage that we have is because those foundations are going to be tested. You know that. They will be tested. And they will test, they'll be tested because of this. Because every hour of every week, of every month, you and I face choices. We have to make decisions in any number of circumstances that we face. What are we going to say? What are we not going to say? What are we going to do? What are we not going to do? How are you going to use the resources that you've been given, your time and your energy the money and the skills and capabilities you have, the energy that you have. Where are you going to go? Where are you not going to go? What jobs are you going to apply for? What jobs are you not going to apply for? These are all decisions that you have to face. And we've already heard from the testimonies. God is interested in the detail of your lives. He's interested in that stuff. And whether you know it or not, every time you come to one of those decisions, you actually face a, a binary choice. And what I mean by that, it's one thing or the other. You and I will either go the way that God intends us to go, that God has planned for us, or we will go another way. One of two choices. One of two choices. And if we don't have something on the inside of us that is stronger than the culture of the day which is on the outside of us, the culture of the day will always win. So if we don't have something on the inside of us stronger than the culture of the day which is on the outside of us, the culture of the day will always win. And when I was up here last time speaking to you, I spoke about how we go about making decisions or the way we could go about making our decisions if we only relied on our soul life. Our soul life being that which we think, our rational capabilities, that which we feel, our emotions, and the decisions we make, our will. And the culture of the day is driven very often by very well-intentioned people thinking hard, rationalizing, considering alternatives, and also informed by how people feel. But of course we know our emotions and how we feel can be one thing and then another thing, and it all impacts the way we make decisions. That is the culture of the day. And the culture of the day is a winner unless we have something stronger in the inside. 
And it's always been that way, because I'm not going to read this passage for you today. But if you were to go to the first book of Daniel, it's quite a long way into the Old Testament, 27th book, I think, if I remember correctly. If you go to the first chapter of the book of Daniel, you will hear God's story of the power of the culture of the day and the only way that God's people can actually influence that culture and overcome it. So, what was going on in that first chapter of Daniel? 600 years before Jesus was born and walked on the face of the earth. Nebuchadnezzar, the big cheese of the biggest kingdom of the time, based in Babylon. If you want to go to Babylon, as I said to the group this morning, go online, book yourself a ticket to Iraq, Baghdad, about 60 miles out of Baghdad, you will find the ruins of the ancient city of Babylon. It's a bit dangerous today, and it was pretty dangerous then. This was the base of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. He took his army, he took it to Jerusalem, he smashed Jerusalem, he captured a load of people, and he brought them back to Babylon. And amongst those people, as Roe was speaking to us a couple of weeks ago, was Daniel and his three mates. I think I heard the voice of Roe. <laughs> the voice of Roe speaking from afar. Daniel and his mates Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were amongst a number of captives that were taken to Babylon. And there Nebuchadnezzar had a very simple objective. He wanted them and all the other captives to be completely taken over by the culture of Babylon that he determined would be the prevailing culture of the era. That was his objective. The first thing about the culture of the day, beware of the good things in life. They can seduce you. They can seduce you. It's not just about oppression. The good things in life can seduce you. So Nebuchadnezzar was no fool. So his strategy to get Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego working working within the culture of the day was to seduce them. So he gave them the best clothes. He gave them the best accommodation, the trendiest apartment in the smartest part of town. He gave them the best food that was available. He gave them access to the highest ranking scholars and men and women of the day to help develop their intellect, their capability and their teaching, and he gave them responsibilities. And he wanted them to live the Babylonian way. The thing is that Daniel did not turn to his own intellect, his own emotions. He did not trust himself to make his own decisions. He orientated himself towards the God that he knew. And in every detail of his life, he prayed. He said, God, I need your guidance on the food that I should eat that will be healthy or not for me, on how I should do the work that I'm given to do, on where I should go, and when they ask me to worship false gods, on how I should respond. And Daniel and his three mates, they stood firm because they had something on the inside that was stronger than the culture on the outside. So when Nebuchadnezzar's strategy of seduction didn't work, he turned the heat up. And as many of you will know, 
He did that almost literally with them. He turned the heat up. He said, seduction not working, oppression and aggression, I'll give that a go. He threatened them. He intimidated them. Then he eventually moved to take their lives away. And Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego kept themselves orientated towards God. And even in the face of death, they said, no, we are going to stand on these foundations. And God intervened. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't take their lives away because he couldn't. He delivered them. And then something extraordinary happened. That which they had on the inside started to influence the culture on the outside. That is your call and mine. That that which we have on the inside will start to influence the culture on the outside. And eventually... Nebuchadnezzar turned to the God that Daniel had stood firm with. And Nebuchadnezzar determined that it was the God that Daniel worshipped that would become the God that people in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar would worship. Because there was something stronger on the inside than the culture on the outside. It's always been that way. It was foretold. And it's just as true today as it was then. So what is it that we have in these foundations that we stand upon? Back to that passage that I read earlier. So Peter is saying here, because of the covenant, because of the pledges, because of the pledge God made with your forefathers, you are heirs of all that the prophets foretold. He said to Abraham, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. Now, the covenant, the pledge. I'm just going to talk about these four pledges that way back God has made four pledges to you and I. And those are the basis on which the the foundations on which we stand. The first one, a pledge, a covenant with Noah. As many of you may know, the time of Noah, shambles, mess, destructive relationships, people living lives that are a complete disaster, God says, I'm going to start again. And he sent the flood. But he made a pledge to Noah. And that pledge was, never again. Never again will I do that. I will be patient with you. I will never do this again. So, if Noah went on Twitter, it would be for you and I, Noah, hashtag, come as you are, forward slash, I will be patient with you. Okay. He's a thoroughly modern man, is that Noah? Second covenant, Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, way beyond childbearing age. God says, I am going to bless you with a family. And your family's family, and your family's family's family, family, and so on, I'm going to bless. And everybody that follows you who knows me, the blessing I'm giving you is their inheritance. He chose Abraham, and he said, I'm going to work through your people. Abraham's on Twitter too. What does it mean for you and I? Abraham. Hashtag. 
amazing grace. God will provide for you. It's his pledge. He made it to Abraham, and we follow in Abraham's footsteps. I will provide for you. Hashtag, I will provide for you. Third pledge, David. The followers of Jesus, in the context of the Old Testament, the followers of God have had some seriously bad ideas in their time, okay? I said, you can go the way that God has planned for you, or you can go the way, an alternative way. One of their not such great ideas was, we want a king. And actually God spoke to them and said, don't think that's going to be the best idea, guys. They said, you're not hearing us. We want a king. God is gracious. He said, you want a king? You have a king. They had King David. King David, the first king raised up. And David was an extraordinary man. He was in many ways, I guess, just like you and I. He was an incredibly talented, gifted man. And when he was focused on God and heard from God and did what God would have him do, amazing things happened in his life. And when he didn't, they didn't. In the sense that when he didn't focus on God and he went his own way, it was a serious car crash. Murder, adultery, disaster. But one thing God said was, he stuck by him and he said, from your line, David, will ultimately come the perfect one, the righteous one, who will reign forever. David, hashtag, look at my line. The fourth covenant, Jesus himself. So it's no surprise that if you go to the first chapter of the first book in the New Testament, Matthew, you'll find the author, the first thing he does is trace Jesus' lineage who do you think you are, Jesus? I'll trace the lineage all the way back. And where does it lead to? David. Jesus, the fulfillment of what God promised he would do through David. So we have Jesus. We have Jesus, who is our direct connection with God, our telephone line, our bridge to God. So we have Noah, come as you are, forward slash, I will be patient with you. So if you and I face one of those decisions and we go an alternative way, be reassured. God is patient. God is never leaving you. The pledge with Noah. The pledge with Abraham. I will bless you. I will look after you. I will provide for you. That is your inheritance and my inheritance. We have David. From his line will come the perfect one, the unblemished one. Because amazing though David was, wise as his son Solomon was, ultimately they were flawed. And there was a perfect one that was going to come. And that is Jesus, the fourth covenant. So Jesus, 
promised, foretold, prophesied from the beginning of time. You can read about it. Noah starts in Genesis 9. Abraham turns up in Genesis 13. Abraham turns up, then David and 2 Samuel and Jesus, the whole of the New Testament. That is our inheritance. And I'll just finish by saying this, because the thing is that many of us have things in our lives that we think are too big for God to handle, or maybe he just doesn't want to help us with them. But if we can take the risk, if we can take the risk of trusting God with everything, then we will find out that he really is sufficient. And I say, my last comment is just this. So what does that look like when I ask myself that question? What's the first step in that transparency? Well, I would just counsel you this. That if you can trust yourself, or if you can take that risky step of just being totally transparent with God, you don't have to tell me about the stuff that you're wrestling with in your life. You don't actually have to tell the person next to you. You may choose to do that with people you know and trust. But if you can be totally transparent with God in the quiet of your own space, if you can tell God honestly, this is my struggle, this is my fear, this is my disaster, he will meet you where he's at. He's promised, he's pledged to be patient with you. He's pledged, come as you are. But be honest. Be transparent. And it's hard sometimes. It can be hard. Some of the testimonies we've heard, and for Benice this morning, earlier on this morning, heart-rending situations. But Benice told us this morning about how she trusted God in the face of almost insurmountable difficulties. If you can just be honest, and everybody's situations are different. We've heard about physical health issues. There can be mental health issues. There can be all kinds of struggles with money and debt and relationships and forgiveness and unforgiveness. But whatever it is, whether in joy or sadness, if you can take that risk, just be transparent with God. His pledge is, I will be patient with you. I will meet you as you are. So I just, let's just reflect on that for a minute. Just have a moment of silence. Just have a moment to reflect. And I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that for each one of us here, we will simply receive from you. Help us, Lord, when we can't help ourselves. And thank you, Lord, that for each one of us, you are with us. You are alongside of us. And thank you that we can come as we are. Amen. For more information about St. Saviour's, please visit www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.